Hello, my name is Joe Hogan. Many of you know me as Epic Grays in various video games and on social media. Welcome to episode 232 of Geekitude, a geek culture podcast that celebrates the inner geek in all of us. Um, joining me today and apparently dropping money. <laughs> that was Rosie in the background. <laughs> <laughs> my good friend Ray. How you doing, Ray? I'm doing good, man. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, how's your How's your week been? Uh, do you have this Monday off? Next Monday off? No Mondays off? Um, what is going on with Mondays off? Uh, President's Day weekends. Oh gosh, I wish. No, I don't think. Let's see. Um, yeah, actually, next Monday off. Thanks. I didn't even know that. Hey. <laughs> You're welcome. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Joe's like, I know exactly which days I do not have to go into work. <laughs> oh my god, do I ever? Oh. It's been a couple weeks since we've since we've talked. Yeah, yeah. Um, what you Fill been up to? Any fo- um, uh, well, <laughs> well, if you'd like to know what's going on in my world, I will explain it by just telling you what happened this week at uh, musical auditions. Oh, yes, please do. Musical auditions. Is this the first time you're holding auditions? I'm assuming it's in person. Is this the first time you're doing this at at, at this new school? No, because I did do um, in-person auditions for um, Midsummer Night's Dream, but we know that that went from being a cast of like 20 to a cast of six in a 15-minute cut of the show. Right. Um, This time, I got a very nice turnout of two people <laughs> so yeah for what <laughs> for well honestly we figured we were going to get a very small turnout so we said you know we're going to create a musical review around whoever we get so that's the thing right we're like we're telling people like if you've got songs you want to sing we'll put them on stage <laughs> yeah <laughs> like like we will give you songs you will have you are guaranteed solos like if you make it into the cast yeah be amazing uh we got two <laughs> <laughs> you know i learned um a little bit about that when i was uh back in 2000 oh god maybe 2012 um i started working at uh los angeles uh job corps job corps is a a federally funded uh, vocational school for at-risk youth, and mm-hmm. um, it's kind of like Peace Corps, you know, yeah. where where the U.S. government thought it would be a good idea to send, you know, U.S. volunteers or people all over the country to, you know, help developing countries, blah, blah, blah. Um, Job Corps was meant, it was started by JFK, actually, and it was meant for here uh, as a national program where... Uh, basically, they wanted to take young people that, for whatever reason, you know, were struggling, whether they were in foster homes growing up or they had, uh, they were homeless or they had maybe drug problems, maybe their parents, you know, were, were um, in and out of prison or whatnot. And these are basically all young people that were more than likely to drop out of high school, to become homeless themselves, to... Um, go on welfare or whatnot. And uh, this program was meant to help them not only get like a high school diploma, but also join the workforce basically. Right. So Peace Corps would like enroll these students and then um, give them some kind of job skill and then help them find a job so that rather than going on welfare, they're able to, you know, work. Right. 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 Um, And so 
cities all over this country have job core contracts and Los Angeles is one of the biggest one. And the, uh, the contract is held by the YWCA, uh, which is the largest nonprofit organization in the country. And so mm-hmm. I worked for job Corps, So I was kind of, kind of a, kind of a, uh, an employee of the YWCA technically, cause they held a job Corps contract for LA and I was hired by the recreational department because uh, the recreation department was required to provide recreational activities for the students that were residents. Because in, in L.A., uh, Job Corps has about 700 students, at least they did when I worked there, uh, about, I would say, 65 to 70 percent of which are, are residents, meaning they don't. They, they live on site, right, where they take their classes mm-hmm, and stuff. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to provide recreational stuff for them. So I was the art program coordinator. I basically ran the art program, ran the art room, uh, came up with, you know, projects for students to do, put on two student art shows uh, a year, uh, provided monthly posters to put up around and artwork to put up around the facilities, all this stuff. But when I first got hired, Joe, they already had an art guy. and they didn't tell him that they were hiring a new art guy oh no and things were awkward (laughs) to say the least which i don't you know i don't blame him for that i mean i would i would feel some type of way as well yeah yeah (laughs) you're just kind of sitting there going sorry dude i didn't i don't know what told me that (laughs) exactly so yeah because you know they're basically hiring the guy that they want to replace you with if they could only find a reason to replace you <laughs> and so um early on my boss was like, Well, is there anything else you can do? Like now, like for now. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I used to be in a band. Like I can play some instruments. I can, you know, if students are interested in music, I can do something with music. And he was like, sure, great, do do that. We don't have anything along those lines. And I thought it would be easy to just like, I mean, there was definitely students that are already interested in, in music and playing their own instruments and stuff. So I had put out a call, some students showed up, you know, we kind of formed like a, a band, like a garage band sort of. And then we just needed singers and we just put out a call for students to come. And at first it was like, these are the songs we play. If anyone wants to sing any of these songs, show up. Nobody showed up for that joke. <laughs> Nobody showed up. <laughs> so I, I realized Oh, I need to like I need to switch thing switch up my approach and go if there's a song <laughs> that you want to sing, we will learn how to play the song. And whatever song it is, we will learn how to play it as a four or five piece band and we'll play it and you can sing it and we got one one person. <laughs> Yep. yep. So yep. I feel I feel your pain. That that really brings <laughs> back very specific and vivid memories. Of my yes. Well, and so I mean, and the thing is, is they're also both altos. So it's not like we have mm. like a, a like they're going to be singing very similar range songs. I'm mm-hmm. trying to convince a third girl who is in choir to come and audition. Not audition, I mean, at this point, it's like <laughs> you want it and, and you can sing. You're in. Um, so I'm trying to get her to to jump on board. Um, and she's like, well, what's like, they don't, the thing is, is no one right now wants to make after school commitments because they're sure. so used to not having anything. Like, why are you asking me to do things after school? 
like listen that is my same question when you know we get asked to do stuff at work nowadays no, i'm right like, there i'm yeah why I'm right there are you them. asking yeah. me to come back into the office what is wrong <laughs> with you? we do not need to be there the last years have proven that but yeah yeah. So that was that's that's been the that's been the rough rough point of the last two weeks. But oh, um, I I've thought about you multiple times this week because I have I've finished um, all four seasons of Cobra Kai, and I am slightly <laughs> embarrassed to even admit that I watched Cobra Kai because it really is just white guy problems. Um, <laughs> Listen, I got. Screen. I got non-white friends that love that show. <laughs> love it. <laughs> Tweet about it. Talk about it all the time. Love it. Like I am not gonna. Say, it is. It is to what karate. It, it is to karate what Glee is to show choir. Like, oh, that's I'm not great. gonna lie. Like that's <laughs> that's the comparison I can make it to. No wonder it's so but, popular because karate's fucking badass. So, <laughs> <laughs> but um, like, I, did you did you ever watch the original Karate Kids? Of course. Okay. Um, Ralph Macchio is not a good actor. <laughs> he wasn't back then. He's not now. So what but, I've heard, I've heard that he's kind, kind of the worst part about like <laughs> Cobra Kai. Like, yeah. Well, the character is definitely the worst part of the the show. Okay. The okay. best part of the show um, is uh, is Billy Zabka, the guy who plays Johnny. Ooh. Because he plays apparently Bill uh Billy Zabka is like the nicest guy ever. And he kind of because of Karate Kid got cast as the bully. And I didn't I've never really watched um How I Met Your Mother, but apparently his like he himself became a character on that show. So they would have been having a party and like one of the people at the party was Billy Zabka. Um and <laughs> And, you know, he's got a good sense of humor about his relationship with the Karate Kid franchise. So, Ray, I kid you not, he is the reason to watch this series because he is basically like you take any 80s high school villain and turn them into a 50-year-old. And he is leaning into that. Like, he is so cringy. Like, purposefully so. Like, you know, he refers to, like, he's telling the kids to, like, throw that up on the internet and add one of those hash browns after it. <laughs> Meaning hashtags. Like, he, like, he is, like, he he's not old enough, really, to be a boomer. But he's playing it like a, it's hilarious. That's it great. is, everything is badass and don't be a pussy and... Like he gets called out by the kids on stuff like that all the time, but eventually they're just kind of like, it's just him. <laughs> and so kind of like he, peacemaker. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. I was because, because we had just had the conversation about, um, about, you know, whether or not you want to watch <laughs> a white guy discover he's racist. Right. Um, and, and I'm like, this is the exact same thing, just with a lot of nostalgia behind it. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of that happening now and probably coming down the pipeline right and i have some some thoughts about peacemaker i wanted to share too before i i have not caught up but go for it oh i'm no spoilers or anything but just that like i mean i i am enjoying the show still and i'm excited to talk to you about it after um next week's uh season finale i figured the next you know we can cover it for the weekly geekery for our next podcast um yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah it just this it's it's I guess funny because you have to laugh at it. Uh, Cause what else can you do right now? Um, funny to me how 
it's like it goes from like we're gonna center like on you know all the white characters and all our stories to like oh oh no no that's bad that's what we shouldn't be doing okay we're gonna center how they become good they, oh they're bad let's center how they go from bad to good and it's like no let's not center like those people it's like <laughs> even the showrunners i feel like have figured out like the white showrunners are like oh okay I'm going to make shows about non-white characters instead of just hiring non-white showrunners, right? It's like, let's let's actually give the reins over to different people. But I feel like, no, like, you know, it makes sense that these white showrunners have figured out, like, if I just tell the right diverse story, (laughs) I can can (laughs) remain in charge and remain in the spotlight, but just, you know, doing it a different way. And uh, that's definitely something I've been thinking about watching uh, Peacemaker because James Gunn is is good at what he does, but I am getting, and I'm curious to see what you think. I'm getting like a strong, like Guardians of the Galaxy, like Redux kind of vibe where it's like, oh, is this just like the story that James Gunn tells now? You know what I mean? Yeah, I think it's a little bit, it, a little bit is. Um, right, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's good at it. And I think, like, mm-hmm. when you find something you're excited about, you just kind of lean into it. And I think that's what he's doing. Totally, totally. Yeah, Peacemaker's like, oh, a douchey white guy who, uh, you know, has sort of um, old-fashioned, you know, sense of humor and outlook and who likes you know, outdated music, right? Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> sounds like, you know, sounds like an, uh, uh, what's his name? Sounds like a star Lord. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's guys <laughs> stuck in the past. Yes. yes exactly. <laughs> he has a very, a very strong theme of guys stuck in the past. Yes. And that, totally. and that again is very much what Cobra Kai is about. Like, like you're sitting there, you, you realize that for the most part, the kids know a lot more than the adults. Cause that's usually what happens in a, all of these kind of shows. That's why I say it's, it's like glee with a karate theme instead of a choir theme. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, God, I just like, I could watch B- Billy Zabka forever. Just make fun of himself. It's that's just so amazing. cool to have for him to have like a, a whole new, like, uh, I don't know come back like like a whole you know a whole new turn in the spotlight because you know from playing the villain in this 80s movie you know however long ago to come back now because that this show is popular like i i yeah, know a yeah. lot of people that are talking about it that just love it and i think you're right it's 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 the nostalgia but then it seems to also be doing some really entertaining stuff on its own you know yeah yeah it's 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 a little bit of it's a little bit of nostalgia with a little bit of glee with a little bit of melrose place and it's uh yeah it's just a little bit of lots of things but um the i i actually went through and watched some of the like making of and behind the scenes just because i'm like i want to find out how nice how like if this guy is a really good guy are him and ralph macchio really friends they are um and uh and it's funny because the the people who were pitching it, they were like, apparently Ralph Macchio is really, really, really protective of the Karate Kid franchise. Like mm. he really just like it's very important to him. So he just he's very careful what he 
you know, will sign up for or make fun of. Yeah. And so they went to Billy Zabka and they're like, okay, so this story is basically like from Johnny's point of view, like you're really kind of the star of this show, but shh, don't tell Ralph Macchio. <laughs> 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 and then they went back and they pitched how it's, you know, a new generation and him and Johnny are going to have to work together and not <laughs> leaving out the part that he's not really the star of the show. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it started as a YouTube series, right? Yeah, and then um, people realized that you can't start TV series on YouTube and have them be successful. So they moved <laughs> over to uh, what did they move over? I don't know. It's on Prime or oh, Netflix I thought it was on Netflix something. Or, yeah. It might be on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. No, it's actually it's actually pretty it's pretty fun. It's Netflix fun. needs to yeah jump on some more stuff like that because they're losing all their Marvel stuff left and right. You hear you yeah. hear the news about. Uh, the rest of the Marvel content leaving Netflix at the end of this month. Oh, are they like all the everything Daredevil stuff, everything Daredevil um, defenders, Punisher, uh, Jessica Jones. It's all, it's all leaving Netflix officially at the end of this month. Yeah. I mean, it, make, it makes sense. <laughs> Where do you think it's going to end up? Do you think it's going to end up on Disney plus or on Hulu? Oh yeah. It's got to go to Disney plus. Like there's no other place it would go. I don't know, man. I feel like didn't they? I think I read somewhere that Deadpool is not on Disney Plus; that it's on Hulu. Um, it is, but they've kind of realized that Disney Plus isn't going to just be. I've heard that they're starting to slowly let stuff that is not necessarily "quote unquote" Disney stuff, yeah, um, onto Disney Plus, and that they think they're just going to end up eventually putting it all there because why not? Why wouldn't you want to? Right, right. Because some of the a lot of that Netflix Marvel stuff is. Pretty gnarly. Like it's, yeah, I mean, it, it might it might end up on Hulu for a while, but I think everything's going to end up on Disney Plus at some point. Yeah, yeah. I was gearing up to rewatch some of that stuff, so I'm just hoping it shows up somewhere so I can watch it. Yeah, no, I'm sure it will. I can't imagine Disney won't want it out there so that people are watching it. Well, aside from you know following that news and and watching Peacemaker, which I don't want to spoil for you. Um, that's pretty much all I've had time for. Uh, the The semester is in full swing. I'm writing my, you know, working on re- my final rewrite of my thesis, um, painting again, and that's it, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> it's so funny because after we recorded the last podcast episode, I was like, okay, cool. Two weeks to watch X2, no problem. And then last night I was like, oh shit, I got to watch it. <laughs> I did the same thing. I actually did it yesterday morning because I'm like, I know if I don't do this right now, I'm going to forget. And then tomorrow I'm going to be waking up with the crack of dawn so I can get this in. That's funny. I did put on a couple episodes of the 90s X-Men cartoon for Rosie. And uh, let's just say it's it's... It's it's a particular uh, what, what's it called? Um, it's an acquired taste. Uh, <laughs> the art does not hold up. The stories I feel like are like the f- stories that they're covering are pretty mature for the audience that they were sh- showing to. Right, I right. Felt. But but then at the same time, it's like if you're not a kid and you're watching for the first time, it's like, Oh, this is a kid's like the, the, the patina of the story. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, or the, yeah, yeah, like yeah. it's, it's, it's just, yeah, it, it, it's the same thing. I, the same way I feel about anime, like a lot of anime that is, that is, um, that is uh, suggested to me, like to oh, check out this story. This is a great story, blah, blah. 
I can't get into it because it just feels like it's it's written for a kid, uh, like a kid audience. Mm-hmm. And so though the story itself, you know, the overall plot may have like, you know, sort of like a deeper, more adult sort of like themes or whatnot, it's hard for me to really get in there and, you know, get hooked because it just feels like a half hour kid show, you know? Right. Right. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I, I think Rosie kind of bounced off of it. She was like, oh, cool. I guess this is what you watched <laughs> here in the 90s. But I'm going to try my best to um, to get her into the Dark Phoenix saga that they cover in the animated show. Because I remember that as being much more comic book accurate. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I, you know, before we jump into the next couple of movies, which are, I know one of them is The Last Stand. Um, I want to see, you know, cause we watched the Claremont documentary recently. So I know she's like kind of curious about the, you know, Jean Grey as the Phoenix and what is that about? And so I'm thinking we'll watch the animated stuff and then, or maybe we'll do the opposite. Maybe we'll watch the movie and then we'll watch the animated version. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is what they did. <laughs> this is how it's supposed to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But no, would she, would she read, would she read the, the comic? Could you like find the comic for her and just let her read the original? I mean, I have them. So I could do that. I have, yeah, yeah might I know, be the right? way to go. Yeah. I, ha- I have the graphic novels, of course. Shit. I'm just going to end up wanting to re- reread them myself. <laughs> oh man. But no X2. Oh man, I'm ready to dive in because talk about a movie that holds up. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's I was I was surprised. So let's we'll go to break and then we'll come back and we will talk uh X2. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the Geek to Geek Media Network, a community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like video games, Star Wars, beep, 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 beep. comics, beep. movies, K-pop, Disney Plus, Keanu. Keanu Reeves, new, or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep, and each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes, Keanu. And we're back, and we are talking about X2 today, and I think we mentioned before we left, like, I, I forgot how much I liked this movie. I think I remembered the negative parts of Nightcrawler the most, and then once I saw it again, I was like, no, actually, he's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, this wasn't as bad as I was remembering it being. Like, I, the positive things I always thought of was the, the attack on the school, and the negative was some of the things I disliked about Nightcrawler. And that's kind of just what, that's, that's what I took away from X2. And then coming back to it, I was like, oh, no, this is actually a really strong movie. How long had it been since you've seen it? Oh, it's got to be decades. Shut up, be, Joe. Yeah, it's got to be at least two decades. Well, it's 20 years old. It was made in 2003, and we're in 2022, so it's 19 years old. So 
probably 12 to 15 years then oh my god yeah i haven't gone i haven't gone back and watched rewatched a lot of the the x-men movies and i know i haven't gone back and really watched them I, I ever since i've gotten together with matt i haven't gone back and watched a lot of movies okay. because we tend to watch new stuff and he doesn't like to go back and rehash old stuff okay um i am a lot more pushy in my relationship than you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, I uh, also, I mean, I, you know, X2 is one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. It still is. So I'm going to be a bit biased and gushy on this, right, uh, right. On this podcast. But um, if I like a movie, I'll go back. I, I love watching old movies and some movies I'll rewatch very frequently just because it's like listening to a song that I like, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the first X-Men, you know, I've seen a handful of times over the years, but it's not really one that I go back to unless I'm doing a rewatch X two. I probably watch once every couple of years. <laughs> so, so I, I've seen it a lot and, and f- like full disclosure, like it's still, I tear up every time I watch this movie. Um, <laughs> it is, it still has, and I think it's just that feeling it's, it's reminding me of the feeling I had in the theater the first time watching this movie. And it, it, we'll talk about, you know, what, what parts and why, but, um, yeah, I, I feel like I know this movie so well at this point, I'm really curious to hear, um, what those negative thoughts about Nightcrawler were because, uh, one of the things that I really wanted to impress on Rosie before we watched this movie last night is, is kind of, this is who this character is, you know, based in the comics. Mm-hmm. And then we're about to see a version of him in this movie. Right. And yeah. I felt like that was important with Nightcrawler because one, he's a, he's always been a fan favorite. Right. Um, and two, it's, he's a very unique and particular character and, and, you know, Claremont created him and wrote him for a reason. And um, I wasn't sure if that was necessarily going to be, you could get that from the movie. So mm-hmm. we, we did watch the episode. Uh, I think it's the first episode of season four of the animated series where they introduced Nightcrawler and we get his origin. So we watched most of that. Um, and then we're like, I was like, okay, so just so she's not lost completely when the movie starts, like, who the hell is this guy, right? Right. Um, it's tough because as somebody who is completely unfamiliar with these characters, I, I, you know, obviously they're going to be new and I'm excited about that. But I also want to, to give a little bit of that giddiness that we're feeling in the theater, right? Where we're like, mm-hmm. oh, my God, we're going to see Nightcrawler. <laughs> like, right. we're going to get a live action Nightcrawler. Um, and, and I've always thought... Now, mind you, Nightcrawler has never been one of my favorites, but I always thought it was awesome. I I, he, I love his character in this movie. So I'm curious about what those negative thoughts are. Somebody who, who really loves Nightcrawler, I want to hear from you about what those negative thoughts were. I think for me, they made him so dark in the... Um in the film, mm. the whole, the whole like angel symbols for every sin. Yeah, I feel that takes him to more of a zealot place than Nightcrawler usually goes. I feel like Nightcrawler is a spiritual person, and he definitely is is Catholic. I think he even becomes a priest in the comic books. Mm-hmm. But um, there's a little bit of that fanaticism that's a little bit over the top for me 
mm-hmm. in this, which I think I'm particularly sensitive to. Yeah. Um, and so I think for me, that was a big thing. It's like, I think that his faith should definitely part be part of his character, but to be somebody who like, like etches symbols in his skin as penance yeah. is, is a little bit off the character for me. That did that choice. I design wise, I think it's a brilliant choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did always think that was an interesting explanation of that. Like you, you, if you want to add that detail to a character, because let's say you don't want to do the blue fur, right? You're like, mm-hmm. that's going to be too tricky. It's going to look awkward on camera, blah, blah. Sure. But we got to do something. It can't just be blue skin because it looks so fake, you know, like mm-hmm. it just looks like blue makeup, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What can we do to enhance this look on camera? A great. I think it's a great choice to do those lines, but it's like they could have the mutants. You could have explained it in so many different ways, you know. Yeah, well, like, especially since his father is supposedly a demon. Like, yes, he's got sigils in his face. Of course, he does. Like, yeah. you know, you can. You don't even like. I don't even know that you have to explain it. Like, you know, he's right. got he's got tattoo type forms on him. You know, why take him to this zealot place that? Kind of, kind of yeah. makes him, I think, a little bit more one dimensional, especially when his whole thing in the comics books is yes, he's spiritual, but he's also like they always call him the fun loving fuzzy blue elf. Like yep. he's very, you know, he's a swashbuckler. He yep. was a ladies' man for a really long time. Yep. Like it, like those those aspects of the character for me were were left out. Right, and that's clearly that's what really makes Nightcrawler because. Everyone who loves Nightcrawler, that's what they talk about is, you know, the fact that he looks like this scary demon, but he, nobody describes him as that, that loves him (laughs) that I've talked to. It's always like, no, he's great. He's fun loving. You know, he goes with the flow. He's swashbuckling. He's exciting. He's an adventurer. Like it's all, he's got a great sense of humor. You know, he brings all this levity. Uh, and clearly that characterization, that personality overrides his physical appearance, which is one of the things that's so great about the character. Um, and I can understand if they didn't want to get into the whole what demons exist in this fucking oh, yeah, know, yeah, universe. Yeah, yeah. But it could have just been, I don't know. I don't know where I got that from. Like that's both <laughs> done, simple, you know? It's, it's like how do, why you, your eyes turn white when you cast, yeah. you know, start manipulating <laughs> weather. How come? Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. So that, but I mean, that being said, I, I also forgot how amazingly awesome that opening sequence is. Holy shit. Oh my God. Okay. So I have my note there and we're, we're skipping a little bit ahead, but I have my note as best comic book movie opening ever. Mm-hmm. If we were to rate, and of course we can't do this because we don't have a full list, so it's not fair right now. But I thought, I really thought to myself, Joe, what other comic book opening would compete? for best comic book movie opening ever three immediately came to mind. Of course I haven't done full research. So listeners, if I miss one, if I, if I'm just like totally fucking this up and you're like, Oh my God, Ray, how could you not, how could you forget this one? Please let us know in Slack. But the first one that came to mind for me was winter soldier. Uh, and I know it not, not anything crazy happens in the opening of captain America winter soldier, but um, we get a really cool kind of mission, like night mission for, for, for Captain America and, and, and um, Black Widow. Mm-hmm. And it's it being the first Marvel movie directed by the Russo brothers, immediately there's this 
upgrade in the action sequences and the fight scenes feel so kinetic and it feels like we're really getting the MCU sort of action fighting language for the first time. Right. Right. And I remember that always standing out to me, those fight scenes, you know, with, with Batroc and with the, all the, the henchmen on the ship. I remember going, holy shit, why does this feel so badass? Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's one that I really like. Another one that came to mind was the Age of Ultron opening scene where. Yeah, the that's Avengers- the one I was going to throw out there. Yeah. <laughs> OK. What, what, why were you going to throw it out there? Let's hear it. Well, just because it was like it's uh, like all of these. The thing they have in common is that they start in like big action like it's not just it's not just a exposition or some mysterious like cryptid Mm -hmm. happenings Mm -hmm. um it's it's action from the very start i mean like i love the opening to um guardians of the galaxy but i wouldn't put that in the same category because it's not this huge action sequence where if you think of big action sequence the second avengers movie has you know, it's they they know it's a big action sequence because they do a freeze frame. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we you get know? we get that really great, um, just like it's a it's a, an extended sequence of the team working as a team and playing off each other's strengths, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like I feel like you know the first Avengers movie built up to that, obviously, because we're seeing them become a team, and we're you know during the Battle of New York, we see them actually doing that. And it's such a huge thing for for audiences and for fans and then in part two they don't waste any fucking time it's like they have been a team they have been working as a team since you saw them in avengers one and you know we're jumping right in right uh and then the third i would be remiss if i didn't mention uh the i guess you could say iconic opening to the dark knight where we get the joker and his henchmen pulling off a bank heist Yeah, yeah 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 That, I mean, that I would say probably most people would probably consider number one or, you know, in, in definitely uh, odds on favorite, I think. But uh, honestly, Nightcrawler in the fucking White House, man. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Taking on the fucking, like, the, the Secret Service and coming so close to assassinating the president. And the, the fact that it's... His power set is so cool mm-hmm. that I'm glad he got a scene that was just him. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you start putting all the flashier powers in, I mean, he definitely has one of the flashier powers, mm-hmm. but it can be very understated. I think they handled it really, really, really well. Yeah. And it's nice to just see what he can do because he's a really powerful mutant that sometimes gets B listed because yeah. there's other flashier um people out there yeah yeah and it's the whole sequence is played like a horror movie yeah yeah i don't know if you got a chance to watch the new rock stars breakdown of this movie i did yeah uh, but they talk extensively about how the, the shots and the music and everything and the, the editing is all played like a horror movie yeah and how the a lot of those tropes were used in other movies later on like there's different shots that they're kind of like look this was like replicated here yeah, yeah. So, okay, so jumping back to the begin the very beginning. Um right away, I wondered the same thing that uh <laughs> Lyle did. Is this the first Marvel logo intro? 
Is it, Joe? I don't. I don't know. I did. I did feel because I probably at that point. <laughs> this is what happened with this movie. I had it going on while I was doing other stuff, and about halfway through the um, the Nightcrawler scene, I was like, "Oh, okay. I should just probably just watch this movie instead of like trying to multitask." Um, but I did notice that in the beginning, I was like, "Oh." This feels a lot more like an Avengers opening than like the old Spider-Man openings. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it was a little bit more. um, The credit scenes was like that. It was somewhere between X-Men and current, the original X-Men 2000 and um, the current Marvel movies. But I don't know if it's the first Marvel logo. Because this one is animated with the scenes, I believe. Mm -hmm. But... At the very beginning, I turned to Rosie and I was like, oh, shit. And, and and I've done a little bit of Googling, but I haven't found, like, the actual answer. I know that Blade had the Marvel logo, but it was static. So I'm wondering, like, is this the – because before the scenes from the movie, it was scenes from the comic books, remember? Uh-huh. And they were sort of, like, shifting up and down. And I think this is the first time we get that. I didn't notice it in any of the Spider-Man movies. Again, I think the Spider-Man movies have it. It's static. It's just a static red and white Marvel logo. But right. I think this is the first time that we see it, like the inner like cut, like edited together, like comic book panels, and then it turns into the Marvel logo. According to this, um, that it was static... Um, First introduced in 2002 iteration of Spider-Man, a static Marvel Studios logo was utilized in all right. films until the release of Thor the Dark Vi- the Dark World. Oh, what? So if there was a cuz I missed it. I didn't I didn't watch it, but if it was the spinning, then they've put that in since they've moved it to Disney Plus. Oh, maybe that's what happened. Damn it. All right. Yeah, I was curious about that. Um, and, and we see a figure in space, right? And I'm thinking that's, I don't know why I thought, oh, that's, uh, eternity. Like, right. <laughs> Cause you know, because we know what eternity looks like in the comics and it's like, right, oh, right, that's right, what right. they're doing there. But then apparently it's the Phoenix force. Yeah. Apparently it's the Phoenix force. Okay. And so Brian Singer was already thinking, you know, obviously this is where we're going. So, um, that's interesting. I, I guess I never thought of the Phoenix Force as that kind of humanoid cyclops with the bright star as an eye kind of thing. I don't know. But also the idea introduced in this movie is that the fe- so if the mutants are the next evolutionary step after humans, then the Phoenix Force is this cosmic entity that is the next evolutionary step after mutants, Right. Right, or as uh, uh, Eric Voss said in New Rockstars, it's kind of the introduction of the concept of uh, Omega-level mutants. Got it. Um, Where it's, you know, and for those of you who aren't, like, complete X-Men geeks like we are, um, (laughs) an Omega-level mutant is a mutant that is the highest level of power for what they can do. So, Mm -hmm. like, you're not just good at telekinesis. You are the best at telekinesis by a large margin. Right. Um, so like I, Iceman in the comics is um, an Omega level mutant because there's nobody who manipulates ice out there that like him. Oh, got it. So it's in your specific power range. It's in your specific power set. Got it. So, so Franklin Richards is the a level Omega level mutant for reality manipulation. Uh, Jamie Braddock. Monarch? Um, actually, 
reality uh, yes. manipulation. Robert Drake. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Apparently, apparently, Franklin Richards is more powerful than all of them. Robert Drake, or you know, Iceman, Bobby Drake, uh, temperature manipulation in the uh-huh, negative. Uh-huh. <laughs> in the negative. Uh, let's see. We have Elixir. We have Marvel. Oh, you've got Jean the. Oh, you've got the thing up. I, I thought you yeah. were like making comparisons, and I was like, oh no. I'm like, well, first of all, Bobby Drake's not reality manipulation. Oh, I'm sorry. Gotcha. I'm just. Gotcha, I'm just gotcha, listing gotcha. known Omega level mutants. Okay, Monarch. so we'll start over because I think I, I talked okay. over you. Monarch, uh, Jamie Braddock, Iceman, Bobby Drake, Elixir. Uh, for biokinesis, I, some of these mutants I've never heard of, to be honest. Right. Uh, Marvel Girl, aka Jean Grey, uh, Legion, Magneto, <laughs> Power Set, Magnetism, uh, yeah. Proteus, who scared the crap out of me the first time I saw him in a story. Yeah, uh, terrifying. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mr. M, uh, Storm, Exodus, Kid Omega. Powerhouse, Vulcan, and Hope, Hope Summers. So I feel like some of these we know really well. Right. Iceman, Jean Grey, and Storm are all Omega-level mutants, and they're all like X-Men regulars, like core X-Men members. Yeah. That's crazy. That makes the X-Men a crazy powerful team. Right. And then some of these I'm like – was that a shtick for a while? Like when a writer wanted to introduce a new mutant character and have him stick around, make just make him an Omega level mutant? No, because I think a lot of those that you mentioned were characters before the concept of Omega level mutants was even introduced. Okay, um, and so when they did need to like go, well, who is like Omega level mutants? They went and found the ones that were the most powerful in their power set. So I know, I know Exodus is about like enhancing other people's um, powers and his power is ridiculous. So, you know, that, that makes sense. Plus he's got a good, you know, I think it was kind of like you have some unknown ones, you have some semi-known ones that are villains and then you have that. This is a great, I'm just, we're going to move on, but this is a great explanation here I want to read. Omega level mutants are mutants whose dominant power is deemed to register or reach an undefinable upper limit of that power's specific classification. For example, both Magneto and Forge are the most powerful mutants of their power types on planet Earth. Uh, but what makes Magneto and not Forge an Omega level mutant is that the upper limit, the upper limit of Forge's measurable powers could be hypothetically be surpassed, while the upper limit of Magneto's power cannot be surpassed in any measurable fashion. Omega level is a classification of a single mutant power. While it is quite common that mutants manifest multiple powers. Uh, for example, Jean Grey is both a telepath and a telekinetic. She is only an Omega level telepath, not telekinetic. Dude. Really? It should be the other way around. <laughs> oh. Yeah, you're right. It should be the other way around. Yeah. Um, she should be an Omega level telekinetic, yeah. not telepath. Yeah. 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 Uh, cool. Uh, you out geeked the, <laughs> the week, the excellent wiki. Good job, Joe. <laughs> so, okay. So, so we get a hint at it and I'm curious as to whether this and the next movie, and we'll talk about it more in the next movie. Is this a thing that Jean Grey is possessed of, or is this Jean Grey's abilities that Xavier has tried to like help help her hold back? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, well, the Brian Singer version is that uh, Professor X kind of held back her powers, right? right. And that's not un—that's not wrong. And and Jean Grey has been retconned so many times <laughs> that True. you know, in some ways that it's that, in some ways it's not. It's the Phoenix Force. I think what they finally have landed on is that there is a connection between her and the Phoenix Force, almost that her power taps into the Phoenix Force, regardless of whether it's possessing her or not. Oh, interesting. And so there's a connection, like a, a, a established connection between the entity of the Phoenix, Phoenix Force and Jean Grey. Is, is the Phoenix Force one of those like elemental forces of the universe, kind of like the Infinity Stones are? I think it's more like eternity and oh, those kind shit. of forces. Yeah. Oh, it's a cosmic, like, okay. Yeah, this cosmic entity, like, um, and since we've mentioned eternity in multiple times, like, if you don't know who the character is, like, go look up a, uh, a <laughs> picture of eternity because eternity is one of the most awesomely designed character yeah. models ever. Yep. <laughs> like, yep. So cool. Um. So, okay. Uh. This film was made to singer said he wanted to focus on the human perspective of, of the mutant issue, right? Mm-hmm. Where the, the mm-hmm. first movie was all told from the perspective of the mutants. This time we see a lot of scenes told from the perspective of humans and how scared they are. Hence striker wanting to, you know, sort of take them out. Um, and they thought about empire strikes back, of course, because it's, I mean, that's a fucking legendary part two. And um, that's what they were going for with this in terms of like disrupting the team balance and, you know, crazy things happen. Romance is, you know, sort of the romantic aspect is sort of resolved. Uh, People die, obviously spoilers. Um, David Hayter and Zach Penn, two writers were hired to write separate scripts, Joe. And, And then, and then they, they fused them together. They took the, their favorite parts from both scripts and they fused them together into one script. And David, uh, sorry, Brian Singer wrote another script and there were other rewrites and iterations by other writers. <laughs> so that's how much this movie was worked on by different people. Which, which shows because it is a very cohesive, like often we go, okay, there's a lot of gaps. There's things that don't make sense. This is a pretty cohesive, it all makes sense kind of movie at least i felt it is yes yes and originally singer wanted to jump right into dark phoenix and it was zach penn who convinced him to wait mm-hmm. uh, the reason he he gave which convinced singer is something that joe you and i've talked about so many times because you needed to further establish these characters in this universe first mm-hmm. <laughs> like you need to give it time for people to care about spend enough time to care about these characters to go into something like dark phoenix and he was the one who suggested uh god loves man kills the singer yeah which is an amazing amazing story like another yeah. another one that you have to go read and experience because it's such a good story it's it's tragic it's it's hurtful so I didn't know but that in 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 that story, um, Stryker is uh, Reverend Stryker. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah, I don't showing know that, that I wanna, which I think is another reason why the the whole Nightcrawler Zealot thing kind of bothers me. It's because it's <laughs> a very not in line with what the point of that story is. Yeah, right, right. Uh, of course. 
Halle Berry had just won an Academy Award, so they did do one final rewrite to give her more lines as Storm. Mm-hmm. Which, I mean, I guess... <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about that? Well, I did re- I did watch it going, okay, we did get a significant more Storm in this movie than we have in everything, but it, she's still... like. What does Storm do in any of these movies? Like, her contribution is so minimal. (sighs) I know, right? And you can, I feel like almost watching this movie, you can tell which lines and which scenes were, like, bumped up to give her more stuff to do. Well, one of the things that I've kind of, like, really felt with these is these movies as we're going back and rewatching them is like, Oh, what is Marvel going to do? And I want to see, I want to see Storm kick ass without a breeze being blown. (laughs) <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. I want, and I want her to be like on the front lines, shouting out orders and coordinating teams, and being like the Captain America of the X Men, oh. because her and her and Cyclops co led the X Men for decades, and she beats Cyclops at one point without her power, without the use of her powers, she beats Cyclops to win the role as leader. Mm-hmm. Ugh, that gives me chills just thinking about a badass storm leading the X-Men. That would be amazing. Yeah, I don't I just don't understand why I don't understand why we can't have that, Ray. Right? <laughs> like we need that. Yeah. I mean, I didn't like even even in Age of Apocalypse, we're intro- we're reintroducing a storm character. And I don't even know she has any lines. Ugh. God, <laughs> how many times do you get a character wrong? Such an important, crucial character wrong. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, she has a mohawk, so we'll put her in the 80s movie. Right, right. I have to say, too, watching X2 just makes me kind of sad for James Marsden's Cyclops because he's yeah. so good. Like, if they talk about perfect casting, like, I do think that Alan Cumming was, like, brilliant casting for Nightcrawler. I would have never... Cho- chosen him for Nightcrawler, but God, I thought it was brilliant. I don't know how, how you feel about it, but same thing with James Marsden. I think he's a perfect casting for Cyclops and just, you know, we don't really ever fully get like, I don't know. I feel like his full presence used in these movies. Well, Alan Cummings is like, I of course know him from, from cabaret and right. from a lot of like musical theater stuff. Yeah. So when they were like out, um, uh, Alan Cummings was going to be uh, Nightcrawler. I was. I remember thinking, "Oh, that's brilliant because it's not like it's not your standard action hero playing mm-hmm. the part because you don't want the classic action hero playing Nightcrawler. You want somebody kind of fun and mischievous, and you know he plays the the um, the master of ceremonies in Cabaret, which is mm-hmm. kind of this weird, creepy." German dude, and I'm just like, yeah, no, I see how that pairs. I see why that that idea carried over. Wow, very cool. Yeah, not being familiar with Cabaret, I was like, who is this? That guy? Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. How do you feel about James Marsden as Cyclops? Cyclops has never been one of my favorite characters, but I I just think he's great as Cyclops in these movies. Okay, I have, uh, for those of you who are not extreme X-Men nerds like the two of us are, um, Cyclops is not a well-liked character. <laughs> Cyclops is a cop, right? Yeah, yeah Cyclops <laughs> is a cop. He's he's Captain America with no charm. Um, <laughs> yes! Right? He's Captain America with no charm. Perfect. And 
like he's almost a little bit like um, John Walker. Like that's why Logan the, calls him the, the Boy Scout. Yeah, he calls him the Boy Scout. You're the you're the one who takes orders without without question. And the only reason why I don't hate Cyclops as much as I used to is because of Jay and Miles. Oh right, because right. Jay loves Cyclops, <laughs> loves Cyclops, and um, and they point out why you why he gets a bad rap, and he gets a bad rap because in the cartoon, which is where a lot of us got our X Men beginnings. I think I got a little bit of time before that with the X Men, but in the cartoon, he's just grating. He's just annoying. He's always, he's always basically, basically his lines are some version of Wolverine. Don't do that. Like that's what he says that and, and shouting Gene, <laughs> like those are the two things that he says. If you have not seen the honest trailers um, on the animated X-Men, have you seen that? No, I have not. Oh my God, Ray. Right, oh my God. After when we are done today, you have to watch it. It is ridiculously accurate, ridiculously right. accurate. But, um, but I think James, um, James Marsden's character of this is kind of, he's less, he's a little bit more privileged. I think, I think that's his kind of way of getting around the boy scout. It's kind of like, I'm I'm the I'm the alpha male who doesn't go around saying I'm an alpha male. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's the dudes that are like, well, I'm because I'm an alpha, and he doesn't have to because he just is. Um, you and so what? it's a little bit better. I I you're right that that there is a really important element to Cyclops in the comic books that shows how fucking scrappy he is. Yeah. Like Cyclops grew up incessantly bullied and just a kid who was, um, you know, Xavier basically finds him like as a rescue. Like he is skittish and introverted and just totally beat down. Right. And, and By- just like the skinny little geeky kid. Yes. Like he's yes. not. And, and over time with the X-Men, he gains confidence. Yes. He falls in love. He wins the girl over the, 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 the bad, you know, the, the, what are they called? The tough guy, the badass guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's, a, he's the classic um, good guys never win. Right. Character, but he actually does like, yeah. And it's not, and it's not in a way that's not like he's not given that stuff. Like he works hard. They always say that he's one of the hardest working X Men. Yeah, he's fucking scrappy, and in a couple of you know like stories, he goes a little nuts. <laughs> oh yeah, no, he ends up becoming a villain by the end of the the run. Like yeah. he he betrays yeah. the X Men and everything, but because he he loses faith in the in the Xavier Dream, because like all the rest of us, he goes, "Oh, you're kind of an asshole." I I um, do I do feel like James Marsden. You're right. There is that sort of more privileged uh, kind of stuffy take on the character, but I I don't know something about the way Marsden plays him. I almost feel like underneath that, it's like that's the veneer that he has sort of adopted to fit in at the mansion 
-hmm. But underneath that, it's like, you don't know, Logan, how hard I've worked for what I have here. And I'll be damned if you're going to fucking take any of this for me. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's that thing where he looks at the at Xavier. He does it in the first film and he does it in the second film where he looks at Xavier like, can I please kick this guy's ass right now? Like, can I please take care of this? And Xavier's like, no, dude, just chill, chill out. Like, <laughs> I, I think what ingratiates me to this version of Cyclops is the line in the first movie where he's like, "Are you afraid you're gonna? I'm gonna take your girl?" And he's like, "If she was, if she." If I had to worry about that, she wouldn't be my girl. You know, that kind of like, I trust her. <laughs> like, you right. know, it's it's kind of that I have the conf. I know who I am, so I don't need to play into what you're doing. Where, which I think was missing in the cartoon where it was always like, he was always at the disadvantage of Wolverine who just did whatever the hell he wanted. Yeah. And this one, he's got that, like you said, it's kind of a veneer. I think it's just kind of somebody who's found his tribe and is comfortable. Not just comfortable, but like also will protect them and fight for them to the fucking death. Like, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. But I mean, he's just he's 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 come to terms with who he is and where his place is in this group, which I don't think you ever got in the cartoon. And again, that's that's what a lot of us grew up with. Now, the other thing with Cyclops is that in the comic books, he makes a lot of bad decisions in the eighties, like a lot of bad decisions. <laughs> in the like 80s, that's tragic. Didn't we all world, in the eighties. No, I'm just kidding. Yes. Tragic world shaking. <laughs> I cheated on this woman with my ex. Um, <laughs> tragic. <laughs> this is uncomfortable mistakes. So there are reasons to dislike Cyclops, but I think this is a good version of that character. It? And it's it's sad that we don't get him in X3, although maybe, um, or Last Stand, or, but, but maybe that's better. <laughs> maybe I, f- I fear what he would have been in that movie. One, in the first movie, he says, if I had to say that, then she wouldn't be my girl. But then he says, oh, and Logan, to end the scene, he says, Stay away from my girl. So he does still say that, okay? Uh, right. Second, um, as far as, you know, the, <laughs> the whole Madeline Pryor thing, isn't thinking she was dead the ultimate we were on a break? No? Okay. I don't know. Maybe no, 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 no. But it's not. No, no. But that's not, the, that's not the cheating. He's not cheating on Jean Grey with Madeline Pryor. Right, right, right. He Jesus. cheats on Madeline Pryor with Jean Grey, and she has a psychotic break and becomes the Goblin Queen. <laughs> Okay, so <laughs> it's a so, big problem. <laughs> That's the break. Okay, got it. My bad. Because he, he doesn't just he doesn't just cheat on her. He leaves her and his child to go back to Jean Grey. That's again, the break. That's what I'm I saying. I get it. it, it, it. <laughs> I get it. But he he definitely cheats on Madeline Pryor and then leaves her for Jean Grey with like no explanation, no warning, no anything. And yeah. then Marilyn Pryor realizes that she's a Jean Grey clone. Psychotic, uh, psychotic break. I'm just saying, if your ex comes back from the dead, you know, just <laughs> cut him some slack. I don't know. Yes, Maybe but conversations should be had, Ray. Like, you don't just leave. You go, hey, we need to figure this out because I was madly in love with her and she died and now she's back. Like, yeah. This is, this yeah. is a wa- thing. <laughs> I'm wondering if Helen Hunt had any conversations with her husband when Tom, when, uh, Tom Hanks came back from the island. In a castaway. Anyway, <laughs> um, okay. 
So <laughs> what else we got here? Uh, oh, the danger room was cut from this movie because of budgeting issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and Gambit was cut from this movie. Um, he had a, uh, he, he had a, uh, what's it called? A cameo. Mm-hmm. Uh, in which he was played by Hugh Jackman's stunt double. Whose stunt double? Hugh Jackman's stunt double. Oh, how fun. Yeah, so that was filmed, Joe. That was not cut from the script. No, no, no. That was filmed and in the can. Well, because the the two things that they were going to do that they ended up cutting is they had that and they had um, another Hank McCoy scene. Yes. um, With them getting under, when they were under a psychic attack from uh, Professor X. Yes. um, They, like, Beast turns into Beast and Gambit's powers flare. And so yes. it was supposed to show the the mutants like suffering and almost dying, which would have been cool. Would have been very cool. Very. <laughs> we very still cool. we still get a shot of Hank McCoy, you know, uh, um, non blue furry Hank McCoy on, on the TV set. Um, apparently, Singer uh, liked Hugh Jackman's stunt double, the the job he was doing so well that he had him. Uh, in costume or, or not in costume, but step up for a, a brief cameo of Gambit. But that was cut in the end. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's crazy that we got that close to an on-screen Gambit way before well, we, Wolverine came Before out. it was terrible. It's been Origins <laughs> Wolverine. Yeah, exactly. Oh, man. Um, I have a note here. Lyle's note is, is much nicer than mine. <laughs> Uh, Lyle says, okay, that first shot of Logan looks perfectly like he's always shown. Even the dumb hair thing. <laughs> My only complaint is that he looks so young and that can't be helped. My note was Logan's bad wig era begins. Because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like they managed to sort of solve that impossible riddle in the first movie with how are you going to do a live action version of Wolverine's hair from the comics? And you make it through the first movie going, hey, they kind of pulled it off pretty well. And I think they do so for the most part in X2, but there's a couple shots where it's like, whoa, like they really went overboard with that hairdo. Yeah. And I mean, it's like nobody's hair naturally does that. So like, <laughs> can we just come up with a, can we just come up with a reason? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can we get a shot of Logan in front of the mirror with a hairdryer doing that? <laughs> 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 Somebody told him it was cool, and we will add that to the mistakes we made in the 80s. Yeah, it's so funny because the, it, his hair does so many different things in this movie. And sometimes it looks cool, sometimes it looks passable, and a couple of times it just takes me right out of the movie. I'm like, no, but no way that – like, you're right. There's no way that's happening on its own. He, yeah, he is You had to sit in front of the mirror with, <laughs> with the Aquanet just, like, for two minutes yeah, spraying that thing down. Yeah. Yep. Um, I never realized that there's a little bit of a setup for Days of Future Past in this movie. Uh, it, talking about Jean and her powers kind of going high haywire. Did you? Did you ever catch that? No. That apparently, um, some of the voices that Jean hears in the beginning of this movie, when when her powers are going haywire, are from future events that are about to happen in the movie we're about to watch. Right. I, I had forgot. I, I never knew that until it was pointed out. And then I forgot when you were bringing it up. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew, I recognized the voices, but I always assumed they were from the first movie, like, you know, snippets of, of Logan screaming or whatever. And 
apparently those are the <laughs> snippets from, you know, an hour into the movie we're watching, which is pretty fucking cool because the, the, the setup for days of future past there is what the, that, that you can mentally travel through time. The right. conscious can travel through time. Yeah. Right. The conscious based time travel, I guess is what they call it. Yeah. Um, which is fucking cool. And it shows you how powerful her, her Phoenix force is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I guess it makes sense, right? Singer did come back for days of future, future past. Didn't he? Yes, I think so. Which yeah. surprises me. Cause I didn't like that movie. <laughs> and I really am over singer. Like I, how do you, Ray, I know I've said this before, but it still bothers me. How do you get the dark Phoenix saga movie wrong twice? Twice. Twice. Yeah, well, the second one wasn't directed by him, but yes. But it was written by him, wasn't it? It was It was directed by the producer on all these films. So, yeah, I think it was. He did have a hand, a heavy hand in it, I believe. Oh, we're going to go off on that one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I, I think it's time to talk about the attack on the mansion. Which is my favorite scene in all of the X movies. Same. I mean, Same. I am always I, – I love movies where you get to a point where all hope is lost and everybody has to work together to get out of it. I love I love the, the miniseries V. If you have never seen the miniseries mm-hmm. V, I love it. It is so good because it's that whole we're struggling against odds that we just cannot beat. Yeah. And that's what I feel makes a really good heroic story. Mm-hmm. So it's just this tragedy of these kids being attacked by a, a professional military force yeah. is just iconic. It's yes. so good. So good. <laughs> um, I just remember sitting in the theater, tearing up, mm-hmm. and and for the first time really feeling like, oh, my God, like I'm watching a comic book come to life. Mm-hmm. Like that was the first time that I I really felt like the the characters were straight out of the comic books that I grew up reading the tone, um, and I think a lot of it had to do with Wolverine just fucking going off, mm-hmm. and I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting to let to for them to let Wolverine be Wolverine to that degree, right? Um. And, you know, I'm not the only one. Obviously, Lyle's, Lyle's comment as well here was, you know, we're getting some of that Wolverine berserker, berserker rage, not the full on slasher of later, but a taste of it. And yes, I 100% agree. And I was not expecting that at all sitting in the theater. Joe, I remember the theater, literally like half the theater got up. We got up to our feet and we were like cheering like we were like at a sporting event. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were watching an amazing play happen before our eyes. Just like cheering and screaming at the at the screen. Yeah. For me for me as much as I liked that moment, um Wolverine was never one of my favorite characters, but but the first time I got Colossus armoring up <laughs> even though it was not a great <laughs> special effect um just the idea that i'm getting my favorite character on screen doing something i was very disappointed that that's where his role ended in this movie i was glad they brought him back and then thank god they put him in the in the deadpool (laughs) movies because that's when they finally got him right and makes me so it makes me so happy (laughs) 
I know it was so it could have been so easy to just give that actor a, a Russian accent in the one line that he has. Right. <laughs> like, just do right. that. Uh, but he looked good, though. He did. And, and like, he looks a lot like the young era, mm-hmm. like early Claremont. Peter Rasputin. Like when you see him mm-hmm. unarmored, he looks like this really young, yep, good-looking, dark-haired kid. And like I think they they epic casting. Yeah. But um they just didn't do anything with him. Yeah. Yeah. How many of like how many mutants do we get where we recognize their powers? I know Shadowcat is first seen, or at least not first seen because she's in the first movie too, but we see Shadowcat use her powers in this version in this scene, right? We also we see- Siren. Siren. That's right. She's the one that screams and wakes everyone up, right? Right. Which I think is like a great, like you always kind of think of, you, like you get the fact that she is, in the comic books, um, Banshee is one of the like main uh, X-Men for a while, and he's this dude with sound powers. And then later mm-hmm. he finds out he has a daughter who has the exact sound powers as him. And she's always been kind of like, well, I get banshee and siren they're both mythical characters never really and they both characters that are known for their their voices or their screams um never thought of the idea of siren as an alarm yeah and i remember i remember the first time i saw it i was like oh well that makes a lot more sense yes Yeah, totally. I, I, it's such a. I do have to give credit to these movies for they often. I feel like they they find ways for these mutants to use their powers that is not like the first thing that comes to mind. Right, they're not the classic use of the power. Like, I mean, the classic use of the power is her blasting people through walls and flying <laughs> with them, and they didn't have to do that. They just you know made a really cool way to. Yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Yes. Apparently, there's supposed to be a, a, a moment in the um, the museum where Jubilee uses her powers, and we get to see Iceman and Pyro use their powers all over the place. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, apparently, Artie is is the kid. Artie Maddox is the kid with the with the tongue, right? The serpent tongue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we get a few more. Um, I don't know who Jones is supposed to be, but that's the kid that um is sitting there flipping the 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 tv channels with his eyes <laughs> yeah uh, i think um i don't think they that he parallels with anybody i think in the first movie he was in there and people mm-hmm. thought he was um nightcrawler oh okay but he's not um i don't know that we get too many other uses of powers no i think that's it and I really, I, I kind of wish that they had given us Artie the way we get him in the comic books <laughs> because he's like, like Artie and Leech are my two, like, like you got <laughs> they're just adorable when they use them together. For yeah. those who don't know, the, like Artie is this little red mutant and Leech is this little green lizard like mutant, mm-hmm. and um, Leech can cancel people's powers and Artie. I don't know if he has actual powers, but he he doesn't speak. He creates the thought bubbles. <laughs> like, oh, he projects right. little illusions, and that's how he talks. And the two of them are like little playmates in the backgrounds of, like, a bunch of the 90s comic books. And they're mm. just adorable. And I wish we got that somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, that needs a scene or something in the future MCU version of the X-Men. Yes, please. <laughs> that dynamic is great. Uh, I remember it from Jenner... Uh, 
from Gen X, which was like my, that was the X-Men title that I was devoted to for years. And they, yeah, they feature heavily in those stories. Um, Yeah. I also thought it was, it's a brilliant way to show Wolverine. You know, I think a few times in this film, he has to choose between doing what he wants, like choosing his, his sort of um, goals versus, you know, is he part of this team now? Is is he here to serve, you know, the collective and, and sort of help where he can as opposed to, you know, um, pursuing his, his own goals? And so that that first, you know, face off between him and Stryker, it's so cool to, to get like this whole hinting at his, his past. Um, mm-hmm. All of this worked like fucking gangbusters on Rosie. She was... <laughs> <laughs> freaking out during the scene and going, Oh no, the babies save the baby. Who's going to take care of the kids. And I'm like, that's what Wolverine is there to do. And it's great the way they set it up. You know, they send off Aurora and Jean to, um, to Boston, uh, professor and Cyclops are going to visit Magneto. And it's like, great. You're here. You can be babysitter. Perfect. You know? And it's, it's this loner, who now suddenly, you know, from kind of being reluctantly part of the group in the first movie, you know, he's gone off to do his own thing. He comes back and all of a sudden they're like, here you go, man. You're, you're, we're trusting you to take care of the kids tonight. And all of this goes off under that scenario. It's so fucking cool. Yeah. And then there's a couple of moments in this movie where, um, uh, you know, he goes to um, Iceman and, and Rogue and Pyro get, him out of the situation because they put Iceman throws up an ice wall so that he sep- he's separated from Stryker mm-hmm. and the soldiers, and he's like, "Go, you know, I can I can make it. I'll be fine." And Rogue goes, "But we won't. Yeah. Like, you need to help us." And that kind of snaps him out of that like self centered. I've got to do what for me. Mm-hmm. And then it's brought up again when when Magneto goes again. You always think it's about you. <laughs> and I, I love that idea that it's it's like especially especially because Wolverine has become this character that drives franchises. Yeah. And so he's used for everything. And I love the fact that in these movies, everybody's like, yes, everybody thinks it's about you, but it's really not about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I've I always thought that was a callback. That line from Magneto was a callback to the first film. Oh, it where- is. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Not yeah, necessarily. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, I get what you're saying. I thought you were saying, yeah, that my, that Wolverine thinks, um, in that 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 Wolverine's like the main character in these films. So it was like a meta thing on top of it being a callback to the previous film. Yeah, it's both. It, Got it. Well, I mean, I think the I think the meta thing it ran through the first couple of movies because it was like everybody wants it to be about Wolverine, and it's kind of like no, the X Men are more than just Wolverine. Yeah, yeah. And it's funny, too. Uh, every time I kind of describe more of what Wolverine is like in the comics, Rosie's like, really? <laughs> I'm like, he's 5'5 five, five or 5'6 five, or whatever. He's 5'4. Five, 5'4? Four. Five, four? I looked it up the other day. He's 5'4. Yeah, Rosie's like, what? I'm like, I was trying to, I was trying to think of, like, what actor. I literally looked up, like, short actors mm-hmm. to see if there was anybody that could play him that was, like, that short. And there was just nobody that kind of filled the bill for what I would think of as uh, as a good Wolverine character that's that short. Yeah, I'm looking up the Marvel comparison height chart, which is pretty 
cool that we even have that, that Marvel's about to make <laughs> one of those. So yeah, let's see. We've got Rocket Raccoon at four feet. We got Wolverine says five three here. He just gets shorter and wow. shorter. He gets now. shorter. <laughs> so so Storm is at five eleven. Yeah, she's tall. Jean Grey is not on here. <laughs> I'd be curious to know. <laughs> well, I'm sure, I'm sure there is. Like, I'm sure in, in an era where we had the Marvel um, encyclopedias, mm-hmm. I'm sure we have Jean Grey's height. Yeah, for sure. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> um, just one last thing about that mansion scene. She's 5'6". I was going to say, as you look up, uh, she's 5'6". <laughs> All right. I'm going to guess the Wolverine's 5'4". Uh, <laughs> uh, that mansion scene, apparently they had to make some cuts. They had to cut down or edit down some of the length of some of the shots in order to avoid an R rating for this movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this, I, can, I mean, he's, he's shredding people. He is. Yeah. It's a setup for in the future when we see him really go off. But um. Where they don't, they're not worrying about an R rating at all. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but there's definitely no blood in this scene. So I think that's a choice to kind of, you know, keep that rating down. Right. Um, I didn't know that Jason Stryker uh, character, which is the the mutant 143, right? Uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, what's his name? What's Stryker's first name? Uh, the elder? Jason? No, no, no the, the elder, elder is, um... oh, I don't remember. God damn it. It's off the tip of I've my got, tongue. I've got it open. Hold on. <laughs> uh, William Stryker. William Stryker. Uh, his son, Jason, is loosely based on Mastermind. Yeah, which I thought I thought we were kind of going for more of a Legion vibe. Right. That's what I thought as well. But that's Xavier's son in the comics, right? Right. I thought the same thing, though. Um, and uh, Mastermind. Great, because he's features heavily in the dark Phoenix saga. So, but then what are you doing to him? Like, this is not, or like, he doesn't, I don't know, man. It's like, it was a poor choice. (laughs) It's like all the pieces are there. Kind of, you know? Yeah. I, and I hope, okay. So again, with our hopes for Marvel, please Marvel, please do the hellfire club. Well, and please make, please introduce us to a, um, uh, a white queen who is just all over the place and starts off as this vampy um, woman in the Hellfire Club and then becomes this epic teacher at the Xavier School. Please, 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 please. Mm-hmm. And give us give us a manipulative um, Hellfire Club that makes Jean Grey go insane, please. Yes, please. exactly. So I was thinking about this recently um i feel like when we're looking at the mcu tell their spider-man story right in the first three films Mm -hmm. there are moments that you knew marvel and kevin feige were like you know despite what sony has done in the first few you know a couple iterations of this character there are certain classic spider-man moments that we must see that we we and and i swear dude i teared up is which is a theme now for me with these movies i i cry at movies all the time um Mm -hmm. but um 
when Spider-Man, when, when Spider-Man is trapped under the rubble and he has to like lift it up and he has to psych himself up to lift himself up out of this rubble to escape. That is like a classic iconic Spider-Man moment. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was ecstatic to see that Marvel, you know, wanted to, to do that and get it right. Similar to when Raimi did the whole, you know, I quit SP, I'm Spider-Man no more where he dumps the, the costume in the trash can. Right. And he's walking yeah, away. Very iconic. Yeah. 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 So what well, I always you- thought of in Endgame with the, with um, the Hulk creating the little pocket of survivable space under the rubble. Like I, I remember seeing that that shot. It's like from the side in the the comic panel. Really, and it's, and, and it's him sitting there holding everything up while everybody underneath is trying to find a way out. I don't remember when it is and who is in there, but that was a very very iconic Hulk moment. No shit, that's yeah, fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. So okay. What comes to mind as one or two iconic X-Men moments that MCU like has to do? I have one for sure, but I'm wondering if you have any that come to mind. Well, I feel like we getting I feel like we saw one of them in this movie with Wolverine doing the jump off the off the landing with the okay. arms out. But like, is that I feel from like a specific have- story though? Yeah, it's from I think the the one we just talked about, the um God loves man kills. Okay, storyline. I think um, there's that. Um, I would like to see Kitty Pride or um, Jubilee being chased through the mansion by Sabretooth. I feel Ooh. like that's, a, that's, a, that's an iconic. That's a terrifying um, scene. Yes. Um, which ones are you thinking? I'm thinking of Wolverine in the sewer at the Hellfire Club, rising out of the water and saying, okay, bub, now it's my turn. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like that ha- that panel, I can picture it perfectly in my mind. That pa- that has to happen, right? Also, also um, Angel, because talking about sewers, Angel in the sewer with his wings pinned. Yes. Yes. What That's about another iconic? What about um, Magneto on trial? Yes. Do you remember that? Oh my God, yes. Yes. Like that has to happen at some point, right? I don't know. These are just things that, you know, uh, what about um, Wolverine sort of uh, crucified on the X? And uh, I think that's by the Reavers. I think the Reavers do that to him in Australia. Yeah, there's that one. There's also I. I think I think you have to eventually let Cyclops and Jean Grey marry. Mm-hmm. And I think that because I mean I remember in the '90s growing up, and that that panel of them getting married and kissing mm-hmm. was like everywhere. Yeah, I mean yeah. I still think whenever you say Cyclops and Phoenix in the same sentence together, that's the first image that comes up in my mind. Yeah, so. Some things that, you know, as you're talking about, please do the Hellfire Club, please get that right. I think the whole setup for Gene to turn into the Dark Phoenix, because correct me if I'm wrong, but it's 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 just Phoenix, right? It becomes Dark Phoenix because of her, the, the way Mastermind kind of manipulates her and kind of drives her in, in, insane, right? Mm-hmm. Am I wrong about that? No, I mean, again, major spoilers for a really, really great series, but you, you should go back and read all of that Gene Grey phoenix dark phoenix stuff uh but 
we may have mentioned this before when we were covering Dark Phoenix. The whole point with that storyline was that they make the Phoenix they make Phoenix irredeemable. Like she destroys a planet in the comic books, an inhabited planet. And so they're like, well, we can't like the, the conversation about the comic books at the time where we can't let her not like, she can't just go back to being okay. We have to kill her off. She has to, she has to sacrifice herself in some way to redeem herself. And so that's how we're going to do this. And then she ends up, you know, you see it in the the remake. She saves them by keeping the space shuttle together. Um, in this, she didn't have to redeem herself, but she did it by saving them from the um, the dam breaking. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she's supposed to be reborn again from the water as Phoenix, and she's got all these new powers, and she's just ultra powerful and a little bit more aggressive, and her powers just kind of keep growing. And then you get Mastermind and the Hellfire Club that are like, we're going to use this. And so they start manipulating her to think that she's some turn of the century or, or, um, not even that more um, revolutionary time woman. So she's a lot more submissive and they manipulate her, her senses. And it kind of has her create a psychotic break, psionic break. And she becomes the dark Phoenix. Right. And that's how it all works. And then they go back and just because of a conversation at a bar, oh. somebody <laughs> asks Kurt Busick if he could possibly like, he's like, there's no way you could ever retcon Jean Grey's, um, death like there's no way you could bring her back and he's like is that a dare and then he Uh comes up with this idea that when Jean Grey erupts as the phoenix the first time from saving them in the shuttle that the real Jean Grey is preserved in like a cocoon at the bottom of the bay and this is the phoenix force taking her form and so then you go through probably years with this character (laughs) and when she finally sacrifices herself, you're like, "Oh my God, Jean Grey! What a what an amazing story!" And then they're like, "We're bringing her back." Yeah, yeah. And thus begins the cycle of X Men never die. <laughs> this is, you know, this honestly, this is getting me hyped to to watch more of the animated series because I feel like they they did have this sort of thing in mind where it's like, what are what are the things that we have to cover in here? I remember the Proteus. Uh, episode where Wolverine is like he loses his mind for a minute and then he mm-hmm. sort of like the only maybe the only time we see Wolverine like actually whimper like with fear mm-hmm. you know was was and then after that he doesn't want to be around Proteus anymore he doesn't want to face him he comes up with, with excuses to like not be around him stuff like that like the, the, you know we talk about <laughs> we talk about uh, the comic so much um, and the moments and how and how they're different from the movies, and it just, I, you know, I understand that that the movies have to be an adaptation, right? Like mm-hmm, you're, mm-hmm. we're not going to get a one to one, but there's something about, at least for me, the, there's something about the way the MCU has covered, uh, you know, a lot of their characters so far that it feels like they get the, I don't know, Joe, like what would you say? They get the characterization right, they get the the moments right. Um, 
And we're just dying to see that for the X-Men. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's like they can take a story that was kind of convoluted or or all over the place or very much of its time and say, all right, how do we reimagine this so that it's more uh, – so it makes more sense in a current context in the greater story that we're telling? Mm-hmm. And they're so good at that, taking the ideas of um, – I mean, WandaVision is a great example of that. We've got to create this idea of a psychic break for um, Wanda. How do we do that in the context of the world? What's the motivation for her to have this? What's the yeah? You know, and and they they do a great job of it. I th- I so I don't know what kind of of Phoenix Saga story we're gonna get from Marvel, but they've done such a good job staying true to the original soul of the source material then mm-hmm. that's what i'm excited about yeah e- even when we get a snippet of a character in the mcu i feel like that character is still given their due before you know because obviously there's so many characters that they can't spend devote all the time necessary to tell each story each character's stories the way we get in the comics mm-hmm. but like i look at like lady Deathstrike, for example you know if you're gonna add Lady Deathstrike, you know, and it's good. She's going to be in this movie just for the one film. And obviously she's a side character. At least let her be Lady Deathstrike Mm -hmm. before you kill her off, you know? And, and instead we get this kind of like version of her. That's barely Lady Deathstrike, just a name, you know, in in the comic book, she's not a mutant. She uh, spiral actually turns her into a cyborg. I I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, uh, and she has this, like, revenge sort of, like, like uh, motivation against Wolverine, against Logan. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, if, if that's going to be the case, find a way to let her be that before you kill her off. Does that make sense? Like, Absolutely. I, I, I look at, like, someone like Batroc the Leaper, you know, in, in, in Winter <laughs> Soldier. And it's like, it's such a, you know, it's such a goofy character from the comics. But even in the MCU, in the one or two scenes that he has, they let him be kind of a badass. And, you know, he, he wants to fight... Uh, Steve Rogers one-on-one and he even gets a couple good shots in and, and we see him doing his, you know, flipping gymnastics fighting style before he then gets his ass beat, you know, as he should. Yeah, and he's an, and he's a nothing character in the comics. Like, right, he's a, but, like he's one of those people that if you 20 years ago said, Oh, we're totally putting Batrock the leaper in this movie. We would, you and I were both would both be like, are you shitting me? Like of all the characters, why are you picking him? Why are you, right, pick, but, why are you picking crossbones? Like what right. the hell? But, but fans of the comics can walk away from that going, damn, at least, you know, they really gave that character its due, like more than they even yeah. have to. And I think that's yeah. Kevin Feige doing that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I'm not saying it's got to be torn exactly straight from the comics, but give them their due. (laughs) Is what I'm I'm asking. Give them their moments. And I, I, because we're talking about what we want to see, I, I really would like to see as, as much as I don't, I I don't think they're going to start with the original five. I really don't. I feel like they're got. I feel like they've got too much ground cover to cover to start with the original five. And unless they do some creative casting, it's just too white. (laughs) Like I I really, I don't think they're going to start with the original five. Right. right. But if you're not going to start with the original five, then please give me shadow cat as the entry character. I mean, I'd even take, I'd even take a Jubilee 
But I feel like if you start with Shadowcat, you've got so much room to play with from moving from there. I mean, we could we could get a spiral, right? We could get a mojo. We oh could God. get all these, we could get a long shot. We could get all these crazy weird characters that you would never think you were going to see on screen. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, this is really, really cool. Because I mean, when when they said we're gonna bring Domino into to Deadpool. And it's like, how do you even play Domino? And then yeah. that is the most brilliant use of Domino's <laughs> powers. I Because the whole point, like, again, you wonder why she's called Domino. Mm-hmm. You know, you kind of get the reference, but mm-hmm. they actually show it and make it make sense in the movie. And yeah. I, I really hope we're going to get a lot more of that. Yeah, I, I, Feige knows that if they play their cards right, Marvel could tell X-Men stories for decades decades and never get and never get even more than avengers because when you start getting to the b and c level avengers you are you're really (laughs) scraping the bottom bottom of the barrel yep when you get to the second or third year tier x-men there's so many goddamn many of them (laughs) that you're still you're still pulling out interesting amazing stories yeah yeah so um I, I want to. There's a few more points before we wrap up that I want to hit, touch on with X2. Um, how do you feel about the the obvious? I feel like gay metaphor with Bobby and his family. The way that's um, played. I, I feel like it's pretty decent, just because that is definitely one of the big. Um, allegories that that the x-men has have been based on i mean the whole legacy virus in the comic books is the aids virus right um and you know the idea that it only affects mutants but actually not really and Mm -hmm. becomes a problem for everybody um the so i think it's kind of an accurate i it did a decent job of making it a coming out thing without just going we're making a gay reference here um (laughs) They but almost I, do I, that with the whole, have you tried not being a mutant line? <laughs> right. But I mean, but from our, from my perspective, it's kind of like, well, that's a ridiculous thing. They can't help being a mutant because they've got these superpowers. Like it's not something that they control. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Said point. <laughs> um, and then when later on, when, when Nightcrawler tells Mystique, Hey, I heard you can look like anybody. Why would you? You know, why wouldn't you look like somebody all the Mm -hmm. time? And she says, I shouldn't have to. Yeah. And that's very much an analog to, you know, well, why can't you, why do you have to be so gay? Why do you have to keep putting our, our sex? Why can't you just keep that behind doors? Mm -hmm. Um, And they, they even make a reference when um, Bobby is talking to Wolverine about his relationship with rogue. It's like, um, when he's uh, he says something along the lines of it's really hard when you want to be affectionate with somebody, but can't. Yeah. And so these are all those moments that as somebody who is gay, I go, yep, yep. I, I like how they're making that parallel because it's a very good way to make it make sense to people who don't experience it. Right. Right. I thought it was, I mean, it's, it's a little bit ironic to me that, Bobby does eventually come out as gay in the comics. Right? <laughs> right? Gay, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
Have you, have you read those first couple of, of episodes or the couple of issues after like his, the Iceman run after he comes out? No, only the, only the few scenes, uh, like specific scenes when he comes out. I've read those online, but I haven't read the full issues. No. Like, like I love because Kitty Pride's pissed at him mm-hmm. because she's basically like, why did you not tell me? Why did you think you could not tell me? And he's kind of <laughs> like, uh, I didn't know. And <laughs> as somebody who came out very late and, and everybody's like, how did you not know? It's like, no, denial is a very powerful thing. I honestly had no clue. <laughs> um, so I, I feel that. But then he's got like random texts from, hey, like I have a friend that totally can set you up with. And oh, it's God. just like all the stuff you go through when you first come out. <laughs> That I'm like, this is so accurate and so amazingly good. Like it, it I I had major, jo- the the Iceman series brought me major joy. <laughs> That's great. Um, I also found it interesting from from watching the watching X two with the um, captions on. I don't know. Are you a captions person, Joe? I I am. Um, only when we're doing um foreign films. Oh, we don't dub. Okay. Our, we don't dub our foreign films. We watch it with the captions. Okay. Yeah, I watch everything with the captions, unless it's you know if it's gonna uh, distract the person I'm watching it with, and I'll, I'll turn off the captions. But I'm definitely a all, captions always on person. Um, I did ever realize that during the scenes where um, Jason Stryker is sort of manipulating Xavier's mind. And he's appearing as a small child that that's intended to be a little girl. Oh, you didn't realize it was a little girl. I just no. I honestly I never really thought about that. Well, Jason Stryker is um, at least he's you know shown uh, um, to be a male or a man. So I always thought, okay, so he's a little boy in these scenes. Oh yeah, no. I just uh, assumed that was a little girl. Yeah. <laughs> And I thought, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Like, I wonder what led to that choice or, you know what I mean? Like, it, yeah, that just stood out to me as a, as a choice. Yeah, it is. I think it's that whole girls are more vulnerable than boys kind of thing. You is think that, it was they were? part of like trying to trick Xavier? I, well, I think that was the idea behind it, but I think it's a very um, gendered, <laughs> gendered um, mindset that came up with the fact that it had to be a girl. <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah you know what i mean it's like yeah, oh, yeah like, for sure like obviously he's gonna be more i mean he even says he even says to to logan i'm gonna you know if you keep smoking that in here i'm gonna make you think you were a six-year-old girl making the feminine be more right weak or helpless than the masculine so i right, think like- just that mindset is there like somehow that's more of a of a punishment right 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 Got it. Yeah. Cause I was wondering, like, is this, is that makes sense? Like this is playing on Xavier's like, you know, uh, Oh, I want to help this little child. I want to, I want to help protect this small child. And if it's a girl, then this child is more vulnerable. Yeah. It needs I, more protection. Yeah. I was wondering like as Jason Stryker's choice, cause I guess he could, make himself look like whatever he wants in that scenario. Right. Because it's all like in his mind. I'm like, is this where he's stuck emotionally? Like, is this where he feels that Xavier failed him? You know, I'm, I'm guessing it's more of he's playing on Xavier's weaknesses. I think, I think there's a right, little bit of a, right. a Jean gray analog. Oh, here. that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause I mean the whole thing, I mean, 
it's hard with Patrick Stewart as Xavier because everybody loves Patrick Stewart. <laughs> and it's hard to realize that Professor X is a very flawed character, like yes. a very, very flawed character, very prob- problematic character. And a lot of the problems that happen to the X-Men are because of him. They don't really explore that in these films, do they? They don't. They don't. They still want to make him the hero. And I think as we all get older and we have a lot of more as as society becomes more woke we look back at xavier go oh yeah (laughs) that's not good (laughs) there's problems there and then and then at claremont (laughs) yeah well yeah exactly um you know he tried but he was of an era um because again he wanted he wanted kitty pride to be bisexual um he's the one who brought in a lot of different ethnicities he's the one who made it an allegory for um for race and then later for um homosexuality like he, he like mm-hmm. the like he did a lot but he was still coming from a very um male white white cis male in the 80s perspective yeah for sure <laughs> <laughs> much like Johnny in Cobra Kai um <laughs> there you go there's the theme You'll bring it around all right um a couple more things uh you know i always noticed i mean there's tons of easter eggs in this movie um obviously i mean we could do a whole podcast episode on just the computer files and like, right? like Eric voss when he was going through it was like you know here's this person this person this person this person <sighs> big break okay this person this person <laughs> And I always had thought all of them. Oh my god, I, Joe! I always thought it was just a name here or there. If you're eagle-eyed, no, it's every, every single name on every screen. And uh, what I loved is that that he did this like like he did the video in like the last two years. It was while we were in early um, quarantine. quarantine, and so he starts going through all of these names, and they're throwing up the actors who play them or their comic book picture. There are not many that they had to just go with the comic book picture. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my god, we've had all of these characters in these movies. Yeah, yeah. And it, you know, they go a step further, of course, uh, towards the other Easter eggs, um, such as the the shot in in the old lab where you know Logan got his his adamantium. Uh, you see all these X-rays, and I didn't realize that there was other mutants up there besides Logan and uh, Lady Deathstrike. You see the hand with the claws coming out of the fingers, and you go, "Okay, that's that's Yuriko." Uh, but apparently, but the one that I mean, there's a bunch, but the one that stood out to me as kind of a surprise was Angel and his metal wings. Yeah, because uh, it suggests that 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 was the direction he was heading. That um, mm-hmm. that Angel was going to be a Weapon X thing. Yes, exactly, which would have been cool. I thought I mean a cool take on the character, but yeah. uh, you know, another one where it's like, oh, it's all the elements are there. It's not quite right, but you know, <laughs> they're mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Um and then really for me, just um the end of the, the film, I forgot that after you know the the, the climactic scene where Jean uh you know the the, the dam, which she really is is the one that um damaged the dam with her power set i never made that note either in my head um when she sacrifices herself to save the team it's her voiceover not xavier's at the end of the movie right uh which is a choice i was like huh i don't remember that but kind of makes sense when you think about where this is going right right and uh i did love 
um, I felt like there was a moment between um, like, it's not what makes this moment so wonderful is that it was not the characters themselves. were not trying to have a moment, but when Cyclops and Wolverine are both mourning the loss of Jean Grey, and it's almost like, well, he's not, he's totally not, but Wolverine is almost consoling Cyclops. Yeah. You know, it's, it's an unconscious like connection that they have. Right. That they're not trying to do this. This is not, oh, this guy needs my help. I'm going to do it. But this this instinctual, we've both had a loss kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, I thought that was a very powerful, very good moment. You're right. I never, yeah, I didn't catch that. Um, and I guess that whole interaction at that moment starts because Logan is the one who says she's gone. And Cyclops is like, don't say that. Like, mm-hmm. and that, that's when he first approaches Logan, like almost like he wants to fight him for even saying those words. Right. Right. And, and, and Wolverine, who's always like, this is a moment when Wolverine should be like berserker raging. Mm-hmm. Like he just kind of holds Cyclops to keep him from doing anything. Right. Right. And, um, and it's like a very, again, you don't see, you don't see a lot of those moments with male characters in mm-hmm. film. You just don't. And yeah. so I thought it was a pretty good. I thought it was a pretty good moment. Yeah, it's a good way to sell the, you know, what her death means to the team if we haven't had the chance to spend more, to even more time with these characters before we launch into that that sort of loss, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the, the the shot at the end, book ending, you know, the end book end in the White House, I think is fucking rad. Really yeah. nicely done. <laughs> um, anything you want to say about that scene before we jump to the end? Um, just because, well, no, the only thing I have to say is when, when, <laughs> when the president is just kind of having a moment because everybody else is frozen. So nobody realizes it. And he, uh, Eric Voss even brings it up in the end of his, but I was thinking of it when I was watching it is like the American public just sees their president, just like staring blankly into the screen That's for right. a couple of uh, like minutes, not seconds, <laughs> but like minutes. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm thinking of like in today's political atmosphere, that would be death. Like that would be it. All the headlines. President has lost his mind. Mental breakdown for president. Is he fit to lead? Like I was like, that would not go over. Like <laughs> career over for that man. Yeah. Truth. Yes. Um, it's so funny at the very the very last shot where we get Gene's voiceover. Which is actually the very first lines of the first movie. That's fucking cool. Um, and then we get the you know that kind of sweeping shot over the water, and, and you see that little hinted shape there. <laughs> Rosie turns to me. This sort of like immediacy in her voice is like, "What is that? What is that? <laughs> is she dead? Is she alive? Is she coming? What is that? Is she coming back? What is that? Like." <laughs> Oh Rosie, don't get your don't get excited. <laughs> Rosie, don't get excited. <laughs> she was like, "What the hell was that? What what was that?" <laughs> I remember telling my friend Greg, he was my business partner for a long time when I had the theater company, and he's a good friend of mine, and I remember going to work like the week after this movie came out and he was like, okay, explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like, I know, you know, this stuff, explain this to me. And I had to go through the whole Phoenix saga. And he was like, Oh, Oh, that's cool. <laughs> you gotta believe we're getting the Phoenix saga again someday. Which again, like it's the same reason why I was really not looking forward to the new mutants coming out. 
was because it's like I don't want like it's like if you say to most people, "Oh, there's going to be a Phoenix Saga movie," people are going to go like, "Really? Haven't we done that?" All right, it's the same like Fantastic Four. I think there's going to be people who are like, "How many movies have we had? They're not good." Yeah. Why are you doing again? And so I think it's going to be a hard sell to get some of these stories back into the the theaters because they've been told so poorly in the past. Yeah, I agree. Um, man, we might have we might have uh, uh, stolen our own thunder for the next podcast because we're going to watch <laughs> X Men: The Last Stand, which is a version of of the the Phoenix Saga. It has good fight scenes. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to rephrase that. It's got good fight scenes for the time cuz we didn't have any other team on team fight scenes. That's true. So that's a th- so that's a thing. That's true. All right. That's next. And and, and Beast is pretty cool. <laughs> you know what strikes me too is that they waited 3 years between X-Men which came out in 2000 and X2 which came out in 2003. And then they waited three more years for X-Men The Last Stand, which came out in 2006. And and mind you, uh, according to Wikipedia, um, immediately after X-Men, the first one came out, which didn't have a huge budget by, you know, a- any standard. Um, uh, for a comic book movie, I mean. Um, they, they immediately greenlit the sequel, right? X-Men mm-hmm. dropped. It was a success. They immediately green- greenlit the sequel and, you know, came out three years later. Uh, and for something like Iron Man 2, which Iron Man came out, was a smashing success. Marvel wanted John Favreau to make Iron Man 2 in two years, which he did. And he's, he's given extensive interviews about how the process kind of suffered from that, you know, and, and mm-hmm, they, they, mm-hmm. Put, they put together the best movie they could that they're proud of, but it was definitely challenging to do that. Uh, and you kind of get that. And, and you know, uh, they've also, t- MCU has also talked about getting Avengers to Age of Ultron out faster than the filmmakers would have wanted, right? Mm-hmm, and kind of mm-hmm. how that movie suffered. And it just goes to show, like, from X x-men the first x-men to x2 like what a huge jump and they gave him three years to put it together you know like yeah yeah if you take the time you can make it better you can you can do something good i mean of course the very next movies just totally obliterates that point but still <laughs> we're gonna talk yeah. a lot about the behind the scenes stuff with x-men the last stand yes Yes, well, you will know a little bit more about that than i do but please okay. by all means like Great. bring that to the table because okay. um like again, I liked it at the time for the fact that we got a lot of really cool action scenes with X Men, mm-hmm. which is you know what I always love. Mm-hmm. But I left that theater angry. Yeah. yeah, not as angry as Dark Phoenix, but close. Yeah. Um, and then what's the what's the movie we're pairing it with? Is it the Wolverine? Oh, I forgot we're doing two next time. Yes, we are. Oh, I have to look. Yes, sir. Uh, 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 mm. X-Men franchise. If it's the Wolverine, then we're going to be angry next week. <laughs> oh, we're going to be so angry next week. Um, Yeah, I think so. Because if we're going in the order of um, release, release, then it would be X-Men Origins Wolverine and then X-Men First Class. Okay, so first classes is, is that getting its own, or are we are we? 
Remember we had a whole thing where we no, figured it out on the, the podcast. Yeah, these are the only two that got their own because it's been so long. Okay. And then um, last Dan and Orton, we are going to be angry. Brace yourself, folks. In the next two weeks, we are going to be angry people. Um, and then um, it's going to be X-Men First Class and The Wolverine, which is not a bad movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So okay. I think that's fair. That's doable. Right. So we're doing... Oh, wait. Are we doing... Okay. Got it. Got it. So we're going to do Last Stand and then X-Men Origins Wolverine next. Right? Yes. Yes. So so in two weeks on whatever that episode is, not this, not next Sunday, but the Sunday after, um, we'll be doing Last Stand and X-Men Origins Wolverine. Okay. And then after that? And then the week after that will be X-Men First Class and The Wolverine. Got it. And we keep saying the week after that, but really we mean two weeks. Yeah. The episode after that. Episode after that. Okay, cool. Then we'll do Days of Future Past and, um, ooh, and Deadpool. (laughs) That's going to be fun. No, no, we're we're not. We're going to do Deadpool 1 and 2 together, aren't we? Oh, we're going to do Deadpool 1 and 2 together? I think we need to go back and listen to the episode where we figured this out live on air. (laughs) Because we did have a solid plan. We did have a solid plan. I feel like I posted it somewhere. I will look. (laughs) Okay, good. Do that. We need to remind ourselves so that we watch the right ones in the right order. Yes, but I know that the next two are the ones that we just said. Cool. All right, man. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? Nope. That's it for me. If you're good, I'm good. Yes, absolutely. You got a shout out this this uh, episode? Um, I actually don't have a shout out this week. I I I have been very um introvert person this week. So, I have not I have not interacted with people that I have not had to interact with. How about you? Um, same. Um, okay. <laughs> shout out to my cats for holding it down. Nice. At home. <laughs> you have a pet? I have pets. Yes, um, we'll, we'll do a pet shout out. Ollie, Ollie has been adorable this week. A little bit of a pain in the ass, but but mostly adorable. <laughs> but don't they just make everything better? Just being home, period, is just better. Yes. Because your pets absolutely. are there. Oh, my God. We've been talking about that a lot lately. But, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, shout out to the pets this week, and we'll have proper shout outs next time. <laughs> yeah. All right. All the music in this episode is by Ben Sound. It is being used under Creative Commons license. You can find more music by Ben Sound at bensound.com. Geektitude is a proud member of the geek to geek Network. Check out other geek to geek shows, such as the geek to geek Podcast, Tea Time with Katie and Chelsea, Disney Forever, You Can't Stop Me Loving K-Pop, The Nerdberg Review, JRPGs and Me, Dragon Quest FM, Mating Habits of the Modern Geek, Farming Simulated, As the Dice Roll, and Sometimes Rob, as well as the Planes Talker podcast, which I did not forget this week. Also, check out our Twitch streamers, Capsule J, Bama Shocks, Twiddle Power, Geen, and Nixie, and make sure to join us in Slack or Discord, where you can chat with us in real time. You can currently find us at geektitude.com, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and most other podcatchers out there. Please leave us a review and spread the word. If you'd like to contact me, you can send me an email at joehogan at geektitude.com. You can also follow the show on Twitter at geektitude, or me personally at epicgraze. Ray, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at rayvargas3. I'm a little out of pocket on social media, but... It's fun. Uh, <laughs> you can also visit my website at rayvargas3.com to check out my artwork. Are you all done? Is it all set? 
It is not. Okay. <laughs> it is it is further along than last time. Slow but steady. You know, Excellent. you know, you know this. Once the semester starts, all timelines go out the window. Once the oh, it's a pain starts. in the ass. No, it's absolutely yeah. like I, I was. I was. I'm, I'm considering running a and D campaign for some friends mm-hmm. just because I want to get better at some of my. Um, I just want to be better at D and and they were like, so when can we play? And I'm like, uh, spring break, maybe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Can it happen before then? <laughs> exactly. Cool. We'll make it through, though. We'll make it through. Yes, absolutely. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. We'll see you in two weeks with a bunch more X-Men stuff. But until then, remember this week, keep it geek. <laughs>